exploit your kids. And you work so hard spawning them. Yeah, so you should want them to, like, live in a place that isn't dying. Yeah, and so they can spawn. Yeah. Isn't that the dream? Spawn, spawn some more. But we need a place for the spawning to happen, for the spawnies to keep going. We need a place for them. Great, 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 great spawnies. (laughs) And Earth. That is bountiful and maybe yeah. really cool. Like, area where are they going to go once they're spawned? You know, <laughs> I want my spawned to have a better life than I had when I was spawned, you know? Yeah. No one has to be spawned, but we're here now, so we need to do it. <laughs> no one has to be spawned, <laughs> but that's nature, isn't it? You know? Yeah. Like, we're just, just here. Spawn A and spawn B, just keep going forever. <laughs> Stuff. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't even uh, think it was the right <laughs> note, but we did it. It's good. <laughs> yeah. Um, second. Uh, hi, welcome to our show, the Media Literacy Podcast Program, uh, where we explore the real life, historical, and ecological reasonings behind our cinematic fears. And we're talking about ecological horror specifically yeah. this month. Nightmare fuel, essentially. Um, nightmare fuel slash reality fuel, because it all actively impacts the planet that we actually live on. Um, it's not just all some fun science fiction-y time. It's like, oh, look outside. Ah. But like, re- like authentic ah. Uh, and not like the weird ah I just did. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, I feel you... it. It's just. <laughs> yeah. It's where you can't be afraid of the villain or you can't even be mad at the villain because it's just like survival Mm -hmm. and we're in the way yeah yeah that's like 90 percent of my thing on both of these episodes this one the next one it's all just like people are doing bad job because evil because capitalism because everything's inherently exploitative because we've made it that way and we need to stop doing that where everything will die and yeah it's just like a decision at this point it's like we either need to the planet will murder us or we'll murder each other and we get to pick which one it's gonna be yeah Um, but it's happening it's happening either way yeah so today we're gonna be talking about annihilation uh a little bit about the film and i think cat your sections focus on the film science yes uh it is is exclusively the film science uh just because it's really interesting that they did base it in like some actual factual scientific stuff like the stuff in the film arguably to our scientific knowledge currently can't happen but the science that was used is like grounding for what was happening visually uh was authentic uh and was made intentionally to like reach people and not sound ridiculous um it's not like they're like the the neutrons are like you know <laughs> yeah. what i mean i, I used real world science and i was like neutrons are real i can't say that <laughs> but, like, but if you, you were know, like neutralites yeah <laughs> some like you know where it's like real science adjacent so it kind of yeah. sounds real but yeah no word soup which you get a lot when you're just like in like sci-fi specifically mm-hmm. there's a lot of word soup um what i found in like diving into this eco horror series was that there's a lot of eco horror books and novels and series in that way because and people have been writing about it for forever obviously but there's like yeah. a lot where i have like a stack <laughs> like i have like two eco horrors on my bedside table right now because i was like i'm in it <laughs> so yeah, i'm now stuck it's now yeah and so you know write that off in my taxes but i also 
also, I was like, there's a lot going on. And I actually have been wanting to cover Annihilation, but specifically the Southern Reach trilogy for a long time. And I was going to do it when we did our writer series, but it's kind of... <laughs> I was trying to be nice to you, Kat, because it gets that. really, it, it gets a little lost in there. And because it's very abstract, um, I didn't want to do that to you. I can't. Uh, you need attention span. It, yeah, so. <laughs> you need attention and like patience. Um, and yeah. I really love it. So, um, and then we watched the film and I was like, this, this is wild too. And the fact yeah. that it was like based off of the feelings and not even exactly the book was yeah. also interesting. So I, in my section, I'm going to talk about both in mostly the book because I, in the series, because I care more about it. Um, but there are some really great uh, film reviews and analyses of the film and its exploration of like what cancer does to people and this feeling of loss and this feeling of hopelessness and self-destruction that people go through that are totally valid. I'm just not going to really talk about that. Entirely. Yeah. <laughs> I have this whole other uh, event whole that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. But I'll try to also link to some cool um, uh, videos or, or film reviews that I have read that do cover those things. So if you are interested, I want you to do it because it's yeah. cool. I mean, um, we put the sources, even if we don't directly quote them, we put like what we read to figure out what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And I do like to add reviews there too because it's not like our words are gold <laughs> you know like yeah. it's not like our opinion is the only opinion that can exist about this media so i like to add the fact that there's other opinions out there and you're free to agree or disagree with any of them yeah uh so enjoy it but i'm you're gonna <laughs> yeah i'm gonna take us on a journey Do i'm gonna be it. talking for a long time and i apologize but i also don't apologize so uh <laughs> Annihilation, the film, is from 2018. I am dressed as uh, Gina Rodriguez's character in that film because we have the same hair. And though I don't, like, particularly love her, we do have the same hair, and so I couldn't be Tessa Thompson, and that's fine. Uh, <laughs> but I will say, uh, I was very, very excited by the fact that Gina was there and, and the fact that there was two characters that I could feel comfortable, like portraying for this episode so just yeah. for that i was like this is nice like <laughs> i was like this is cool um so the film from 2018 is about a biologist signs up for a dangerous secret expedition into a mysterious zone where the laws of nature don't apply and is directed by alex garland who also directed never let me go cat which was that clone film we watched for a clone i think episodes. nx mechana yeah, X Machina as well. So a I lot of like those, <laughs> it's okay. Um, it's those kind of cerebral films where we're um, exploring what it means to be a person. Like that seems yeah. to really fascinate them. And um, they do it in a really interesting way. And there's also like, I saw some reviews where he was saying like, um, that he wanted this to be a little more feminine. Like it's, it's all women uh, yeah. who are in this story and they're really the focal point and there's some, part of that that's important as well versus something like ex machina which is like women using their bodies <laughs> and yeah, then being confused <laughs> like women is she flirting with me is her whole existence here to be for me like sir <laughs> no it's not yeah. um, we should really cover ex machina anyway also the book which i'll talk about which is from 2014 um and it is about a team of four women cross the border into an uninhabited area known as area x an unspecified coastal location that has been closed to the public for three decades uh and it is written by jeff vandermeer and the reason i want to include both of those descriptions because they're pretty different <laughs> there's obviously because it's a book and it's a trilogy there's significantly more information that's going into the book um and there's also different approaches to what it is like in the film it's called the shimmer but it's not called that in uh the the books so gotcha. yeah um i read the trilogy for um the southern reach uh back to back like i i read the first one i was like there's more um <laughs> and so i bought them <laughs> even though my partner had like one i bought both of the other ones immediately because i was like i need it and i read it back to back and it was a journey and it kind of did that thing where i can't entirely decipher what happens in which book specifically i just know like 
what happened throughout the experience. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, like I said, don't plan on spending too much time on the movie uh, because for the book, the biologist in it, so it's the, that's the protagonist that you're, it's kind of the protagonist of the film too, um, was really fascinating to me in the way that they saw the world and the way that they wrote about the world. I was like, this is so cool. So the other two books don't <laughs> take place in the same way. So I was like, in fact, the second one was grueling. It was horrible. It was so hard to get through. Um, <laughs> so boring. Don't do it. Uh, third one, fun, because guess what? Biologist is back. Um, <laughs> spoilers. Um, yeah, so since I feel like a lot of people are tuning in because they love the film, because it is super fun and very horror, um, and I also love the film. I don't want people to think I hate the film. I, I really enjoy the film as well. Um, I'm going to start in the film world. So... The film follows the biologist as well, um, portrayed by Natalie Portman, as she joins a group of women who travel into the Shimmer. Her husband, uh, Oscar Isaac, already jealous, um, had been a part of the 11th expedition into this unknown land. Um, and he was missing for like a long time before he just found himself at home. And all he remembers is just being there in the house and seeing his wife, a face that he feels like he remembers. And so you're immediately like, hmm, this is uncomfortable. <laughs> like, what's going on with this fella? Um, and she assumes that he is withholding information due to his work. And it, clearly there's this point of contention for them because uh, she's already, like, at a 10 about it. Like, why won't you tell me this? Like, you're yeah. always like, it was, it's one of those married couple things. Like, you're always like this. Um, but then it quickly becomes clear that it's not that he's keeping anything from her. It's just he genuinely does not know. He yeah. has no clue. And that's really scary. Um, but then he immediately gets very sick and they go to get help. Um, and in that time, she ends up finding herself into a secret base where it's revealed to her that um, he had been in a very hopeless and dangerous mission in the Shimmer. Uh, or Area X, which is now this ecological altered world that's cut off from our own uh, by a shimmering force field, which is why it's called the, shimmer. the shimmer. But uh, the film doesn't go too much in, into details about this place or the barriers specifically. Um, in the book, it's invisible and you can only enter in very specific areas uh, or you're just dead. <laughs> so mm -hmm. they find it because these bunnies hop in and find the way in um so it's kind of like alice in wonderlandy gotcha. um and so uh natalie portman is told that uh, many people have gone in but until now no one has come out until her husband strode out um which is also not true in the book uh she volunteers to join these group of women to venture into the unknown alien ecosystem um probably from a place of like wanting to understand what her husband went through, wanting to understand why he would choose to embark on such a stressful mission. Like it kind of feels like a betrayal. Um, but the group, uh, including actors Tessa Thompson and Gina Rodriguez, um, are led by a psychologist uh, who is played by the underrated screen queen, Jennifer Jason Lee, um, who I'd love to do just like a whole episode about. Um, and the psychologist also has ulterior motives, uh, more so in the book, <laughs> but it's she's still like, you don't really trust her. She's very cold um, and not very comforting for a psychologist. She's just like, the husband's dying. <laughs> <laughs> what's the deal with that? And she's like, what do you mean what's the deal with that? Okay. Like, um, what I <laughs> in the film, we learn that each of these women are in some way hopeless. Um, and they seem to have taken on this mission because they've got nothing else for themselves um, and they need a purpose. Um, and through this journey, they encounter some really truly horrific beings in nature that are incredibly fascinating and also terrifying <laughs> because yeah. it's like this destroyed and distorted version of reality that actually could occur to some degree. And the group slowly starts piecing together what happened to the expedition before them um, as they are being slowly picked off one by one by 
the things in Area X. Primarily a bear. A bear gets two of them. Yeah. Um, so, uh, in the end, we're left with a complete mind trip experience in the lighthouse, um, which was their intended uh, destination the whole time. And you're still, like, confused as to why the psychologist wants to go there so bad. And I know why, but it's not in the film. <laughs> um, oh, so it's, like, weird motivation. It's, it's, oh, it's so good. Read the book, people. <laughs> I'm telling you, like, the fi- like, the final book and the first book are really great. You have to get through the second one, but, like, you, do you really? I'll just tell you what happens, and then you can read the third one. <laughs> um, but... You get to see more of the characters and you get to see the book four times. Anyway, um, in the lighthouse in the film, this is where it already is like kind of off into its own world, uh, different from the the book um, in that we encounter this alien life form that uh, at first seems to want to hurt the protagonist. But we learn that it's really just trying to communicate. um, And there is like a being in the book, but it's so it's very different. And so um, it kind of like at that point, it's it's its own piece of media. It's its own story. Um, And this being is trying to create and replicate and clone um, because it's like creating this whole (laughs) environment. And and Natalie Portman is just another part of that environment. So like she sees it as being an attack, but it's like that's just because now we see <laughs> like something coming at us or like, oh, no, you're attacking me. But that's not really what it's trying to do. And, and then they end up in this really interesting dance and it kind of breaks down um, like how we move and who we are. And there's like this whole thing of clones. And then it's like, who, which one? It, it then looks like her. And then it's like, which one of them actually leaves the shimmer? And then. She has that whole conversation with her husband. That's a big question mark. Where it's like, are either of them the real person? And does it matter? Because yeah. <laughs> now they're like this cool shimmer version of themselves. Um, Trauma bond. Yay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and while nature has steadily intertwined with the expedition members throughout, warping their fingernail, uh, fingerprints and insides, uh, nature has also been affected by the humans. And it takes their shape and parts of their DNA, and we see some wild, uh, like, flowers and things like that that have, on. they look like people, um, which is unsettling, but, um, and I just find it really kind of beautiful and haunting. Uh, it's like this weird ma- marriage of nature and humanity, um, where we're no longer separate, but something entirely new and united. Yeah. Um, we're not separate now, we just don't pay attention to it. Yeah. that's inconvenient and uh doesn't benefit capitalism so we're just gonna pretend we are separate we are not animals we are not nature we are humans yeah and it's not like the environment anything happening to it is gonna severely alter what happens to us we're different yeah it's like (laughs) we're the alien coming here and that was isn't actually our it's like really ridiculous honestly what like capitalism and colonialism has done (laughs) We'll talk about it. We will. And yeah. always do. Um, yeah, let me get into the book because, you know, I'm never going to stop. Um, so here's a, a synopsis of the trilogy. Roughly, I'm trying not to give away a lot. Um, so, like, even though I'm super geeking out about some of the things that are revealed, I'm not going to say what they are because <laughs> I want you to read it. So similar to the film, we follow a group of women who journey into an area known as Area X, a land where nature has reclaimed what civilization built. Um, and unlike the film, these women don't have names and they are reduced simply to their occupations. It's a biologist, an anthropologist, a psychologist, and a surveyor. Um, they're very practical. And it's and the reason why they don't use their names is strategic um, because they can't know each other. And that's based on like, and get too familiar with each other because of what happened to the uh, expedition before them. So there's a lot of other <laughs> things packed into that, like just removing someone's name, removing their humanity and kind of reducing them to just the symbol um, is also a part of it. Um, but it's also like they need to remain independent in their thought, um, which is really important in a violent new world like Area X that's trying to morph, morph people, and <laughs> meld yeah. them into one. So they're like, we are, we are the thing. Um, but also like, the biologists don't care about that because I think she's always kind of seen herself as just the biologist. Um, she's just so cool. I love her. 
Um, so this story is spun over three books, and the first one, Annihilation, is told through the point of view of the biologist by way of her field journal, and we know only what she knows about Area X and the others involved. So we start to learn things as she does. Um, we know nothing of the organization in charge, the Southern Reach. Um, the biologist's husband was a part of the 11th expedition. And in the series, we learn that there have been many more than 11 expeditions. <laughs> there have been several 11th expeditions uh, oh, that wow. were labeled that way so to not alarm folks who were participating uh, so they could so they wouldn't see how fruitless and futile yeah. the past is explorations still a high number of 11 is but it's not. there was a lot of 11 <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> like yeah, like by the time we got to 12 it was like Ow. why did we even do that um, yeah. and so like it, they don't want people to know how numerous and uh, plentiful these explorations have been. Um, and there's a haunting scene where the biologist actually finds in, in Annihilation, she finds this mountain of journals of previous expeditions. And it becomes very clear that there have been many expeditions. Um, and like, it's just like a mountain, like it's a whole room full of them. And it's like one of the more horrific things in this book, um, considering there's actual like scary monsters they're like the fact that you might die but the, seeing those journals it was like what um and like what is real what is reality what have they been doing that kind of stuff the film had diverted really quickly from the plot um really keeping only the themes feelings in like phantasmagoric aesthetic from the book and director alex garland had said of his adaptation um he said i did an adaptation of my memory of the novel a slightly odd conceit so he did not reread the book before adapting it and um though he kept the ecological horrors much of what i personally appreciate about the novel is missing so <laughs> that's why i'm like you should read um in the book the group of women travel into the into Area X and like the film, they don't remember how they got in um, and what happened when they crossed the threshold, how much time had really passed or how they were able to set up camp. Like you don't, they're like, why don't I know <laughs> What's, what that is? Like, and, and I can't remember, like I'm just here and that happens in the film as well. You learn why that happens in the book. Uh, and it was like, it's a really big shocking yeah. point and reveal that I don't think was ever answered in the film. They were just like, how did we get here? And they're like, oh, time's wonky. <laughs> it's like, it is, but like, that's not why. Anyway, yeah. uh, and considering how little control everyone has, there's even more manipulation than what we're seeing on the surface in the book. Like, again, I won't spoil it, but you should know that you can't trust all those who've journeyed alongside the biologist into Area X. Like, we don't know anybody's name. We don't know anybody's history. Right? And that kind of comes up in the film, too. Like, when Gina's yeah. character, like, loses it and she's like, you knew your husband was in here. How yeah. do you know? Like, or, like, she didn't even know who it was. She's like, who is this? Why do you know him? He was in yeah. the video cutting somebody up. <laughs> your yeah. plants. How many of you know that she knew? That kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and that's like, because you're out there and you're alone and it's very scary. Um the biggest change between the book and the film is the tower, which isn't a tower at all. Uh, <laughs> after the first night spent at uh, the camp, the they come across this um, uh, set of spiraling stairs that descend. So even though it's sh the biologist calls it the tower, it's like a tower that goes down. <laughs> so yeah. it's a subterranean tower. And she even like remarks, like, I know that's not how that works, but my brain says that is a tower. And at some point, another character, without her saying anything, calls it the tower as well. So this mm. thing wants to be called the tower and it's going down. So it's already like a twist of like what reality is. Um, but in the tower, this is really like the pivotal point of the book, is um, there's like this moss that's on the wall and some of the moss spell out these words. It's like this nonsensical phrase that's really like, feels kind of biblical but it's not and it doesn't 
even in the end, it doesn't make any sense. Um, where it's like, where lies the strangling fruit? And then it's like this whole thing. And it turns out that it was just Je Jeff Vandermeer remembered it from a dream. And it really doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it doesn't have any purpose other than just like, sometimes our minds just kind of put things together and you get fixated on things. Yeah. And they don't actually need to mean anything. Um, but the writing consists of this plant, like a mold kind of material um, on the wall. And while the biologist, this is like, Day one, the, the biologist is like examining it. Uh, it like spits out these like spores and she inhales oh, them no. and they're like, they're like, she feels this like light going into her. And no. so that's like the first thing that happens. And you're like, okay, so now we have an unreliable narrator because we don't know what is real and what isn't real. Um, because she doesn't know what's real and isn't real. And already she is already becoming intertwined with um, Area X, which is, I think, a really great take that didn't happen. Like, like people get interactions with uh, Area X in the film um, to the point where, like, Tessa Thompson just becomes a plant. Uh, but it's not the same thing as, like, her getting the spores. And so as readers, uh, we can't entirely trust a biologist because we're unsure what she's experiencing isn't affected by the spores. Um, but you, we're still like, this is all we can get. So um, the group encounters similar wildlife and fauna as the film's crew, um, plants with like human DNA and clones and strange evolutions. Uh, uh -huh. This includes a monster that I actually found scarier than even the bear from the film, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is surprising because the bear is very terrifying. And in the book, it's just referred to as the moaning creature. And if I'm being honest, I don't even remember if we ever actually like see it. Like it doesn't ever come. We just know it's always stalking and lurking and, moaning. and the and moaning. And it's terrifying because we don't know what it is. And it's always there. It's always a threat. And that the fact that the biologist is so terrified of whatever it is, like you feel that. Like you're in you're in the bushes, like hiding in the tall grass, like <laughs> with her, and like she just like it's coming. <laughs> it was like some of the most terrifying things, and you don't. It didn't even get there, and I was like, I can't. I had the, I was like, I have to put this down and watch something fun because <laughs> oh, no. it was very scary. Um, there's a cro there's crocodiles with like human like qualities that may or may not be someone we may have known and may or may not be a reason for us to return because we think maybe that person that we cared about is now a crocodile. Um, <laughs> there's cool. the crawler, which is a creature in the tower um, that is so unlike uh, anything human, but also the only like humanoid thing we encounter. And you do learn as the series goes on who the crawler is. Um, and it's really sad. Um, but the crawler is oh, no. like this is like the big bad it's like this the closest thing to a villain you're gonna get in the first book um besides like the people we shouldn't trust um yeah but it's in the tower and it's the one that's like writing on the walls and the one that's like and it it's kind of like what you're experiencing in the film where it has like that dance and that and you don't know if it's meaning to harm you and there's a lot of question marks so yeah. um you just like you're more curious of like what happened to this thing what is it why is it why is it writing this nonsensical phrase over and over again <laughs> yeah. um briefly running through the other two the second book authority follows uh the character control um that's like his nickname and it's kind of going with the theme of no one can have real names um and he's a character who when i was reading it i saw him as oscar isaac so this is fun um, but he is assigned to clean up the mess left by the previous director of the Southern Reach, which might be someone you know. And in this book, we get to explore the organization that has been sending out these expeditions. And it was not my favorite in the series and was very hard to get through. Um, it's all from Control's point of view. And he was just not interesting <laughs> to me. Like there, the parts where he's not in the Southern Reach when he is like, home or he's like reminiscing about his grandfather okay. or his dad I was like this is great he's like a human and sometimes even when he just left and was like he broke into somebody's house to look for something I was like now nah, he's cool um <laughs> but any other time like he doesn't the problem is like he doesn't know what's going on and he's being manipulated so you are too and it's not worth it um <laughs> yeah like since it's from his perspective too it's like hard because he only unreliable narrator essentially yeah because and, and he doesn't even know he's unreliable and then yeah. at the end you find out like 
you've been unreliable this whole time. So I was like, why did I write this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's so, it felt like forever. And I saw other reviews, people who felt the same way. So I didn't feel alone. Um, but Control is trying really hard to figure out what happened to the last director and what is happening in Area X because Area X is growing. And they say that in the film too, but it's expanding. And they're like, we don't even <laughs> know what it is. And we've been sending in expedition, ex expedition, and like killing people, no answer. Yeah. And now it's just who knows how long it would take, like, to just take over the whole world. And we have no idea. And it's literally threatening the location of where they are, like yeah. the actual organization. So if that's gone, who even would know? Like, it's hidden. It's secret. So it's it's very scary. Um, and this book does have a wild ending <laughs> like this uh, that opens up for the third book. That's totally like. That part was worth it because I was like, what? And there's like, it's like trippy. It is like really scary. And then the third book is Acceptance, which felt more like a fever dream than the first one. Um, but we do learn more about the Shimmer or Area X before it happens. We um, learn more about Southern Reach a little bit. Um, we also learn what's happening now where Area X might even exist and not where you would think. Um, like in real life or just in, in the books? In, like in the book, like where, like not, so like not, like it never tells you like it's in Florida or something, but it's not here. <laughs> like if, like in the, where people, like people walk and they're in that place, that's not really what it is. Like you think I walk and now I'm over there. I'm not over there. I'm somewhere else now. Okay. <laughs> so it's kind of like that. And then like time is all timey-wimey and weird. Um, you learn about what happens to biologists and control and other characters that we picked up along the way. Um, and it was like, it's really weird. Like it, yeah. it starts descending into madness and chaos in like a really exciting way because you're just like, what? what? Just give me the answers. Um, <laughs> and I enjoyed my time with the lighthouse keeper um, who is very important because they were the person who was there because the lighthouse is what gets hit by whatever yeah. it is that creates area x so that's like the point the um what is it uh is it not zero was it like the ground zero yeah so it's like ground zero for whatever area x is yeah. um so the lighthouse keeper if you know anything about lighthouse keepers it's usually just one person and they manage the lighthouse and they just live there. Yeah. They make sure it works. They make sure the light's on. Um, and so this one person gets severely affected. Uh, and then we also learn about the psychologist and some of the other characters. So it's pretty cool. <laughs> so again, read it. Um, I'm almost done. I promise. And you got it, um, <laughs> so I wanted to talk about specifically uh, ecological horror in the film and the book, because that's what we're here to do. Um, the inspiration for Annihilation in the Southern Reach trilogy was a 14 mile um, or 23 kilometers uh, hike through St. Mark's National Wildlife Refuge in Northwestern Florida. I've never been there, but it sounds nice. Um, the Shimmer is an ecological wonderland. It's um, fantastical and frightening. And it features ever-evolving plant life, including different species of plants glowing, growing from the the. I'm gonna take that back. <laughs> uh, featuring uh, ever-evolving plant life, including different species of plants growing from the same stem, which you is highly unlikely. <laughs> um, so, uh, like, Natalie Portman remarks about it. I don't even remember what her name was. Lena? I think it was. I think it was, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's just that. Natalie Portman went to the Shimmer. Uh, yeah. There's animals with bizarre features, like flowers on their antlers, or bears that mimic the cries of their victims. And that's probably the worst part of this film. Uh, and I say, how dare this film be listed as literally any other genre when that scene exists? Yeah, it's very horror. <laughs> like, I was like, like, I'm sorry, this is this is rated what? I, this is not it's science, like it is science fiction. But like, or like action. Like, no, 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 yeah. no, no. There is a bear screaming like a person. And it's like, a, and like brutal murder as well. So yeah, <laughs> and it's like half like a, it's half just bone, too. Like, it's not even yeah. so bare. Like, it's so scary. And it's then there's, ouch. like, the writhing, like, internal whatever. Yeah. There's Snake the fact hands. the person who's, like, 
become the moss and the mushrooms on the wall, like spored out. Like that was really scary and also beautiful. (laughs) It's like this is terrifying art. Terrifying art for sure. It's like Hannibal, Um, which again we're gonna watch on this show someday. Uh, And there's even human plants, so like people. Like plants that look like people, and also people who turned into the plants that look like people. So, yeah. Um, I read that people interpret the film as an analogy for cancer, and uh, Natalie Port- Portman is even discussing cancer at the beginning of the film. So, like, they, uh, you know, people always do that. Um, yeah. And and I can see why, because cancer is this invasive species that doesn't care that it's destroying and remaking parts of us into something new doesn't know your name and who you are and that that shouldn't happen. It's just doing what it does. Um, It doesn't communicate with us in a way that we could understand. It's just moving, operating, and accomplishing its tasks without informing us of its plans or hearing us out and that we would very much like it to not do that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And so it isn't malicious, like, in that it intends to hurt us it's simply doing what it's designed to do and garland sees humans as a cancer upon the world um and annihilation is our determination to self-destruct and so this is why uh his group of women are all specifically hopeless and lost um in that like why else would they come out here um but it's like this alien world of area x is like cancer, it's an invasive species that is unmaking and remaking our world. Um, however, for Vandermeer, annihilation is a step further in, in that it's not necessarily cancer, it's climate change. It's the world adapting to the conditions we've put upon it. Um, yeah. In an interview with Weird Fiction titled Annihilation, Weird Nature Review, uh, Vandermeer explained what prompted his this exploration into the phas- phantasmagoric other world within our own. And he said, my main focus was uh, with the Southern Reach is twofold, to explore our relationship to nature and to explore how people react when facing what appears to be the utterly unknowable. There's a confluence between these two types of expeditions, and it comes about because to many, nature is the unknown in some way. And for others, unknowable because we think we know it all already when we're actually just on the cusp of beginning to understand. We live on an alien planet filled with incredibly sophisticated organisms that we only partially understand. The fact that we only know now that plants engage in quantum mechanics during photosynthesis, or that sunfish and the albatross have a complex symbiotic relationship shows that our so-called smartphones and other advanced technology is incredibly dull and primitive next to the diversity and intensity of other life on Earth. And so whereas a lot of weird science fiction seems to be about nature as this threatening other, I wanted to explore something else, um, which I found beautiful. <laughs> it was like, it's so true. Like it really is just trying to exist um, without us. And so they were just existing in this way. Like how, do, how would we understand nature? And so the, there's also this kind of, cause area X is affected by an alien force. Um, yeah. Vandermeer has explained in different ways that he believes that if we were to be visited by some alien being, that we would not be able to understand its motives, its effects, or be able to communicate with it. Like, it's absurd to think (laughs) there would be a humanoid thing that speaks in any way that we could understand. Like, it could just be a blob or a plant (laughs) or a bacteria. Like, honestly. Um, And in the millions of ways we don't understand the very nature around us now, how could we even fathom understanding an otherworldly being? Nature exists in a fantastical way that is completely separate from our limited experiences of life. And with our selfish points of view, we're missing a valid point that nature doesn't care for us and that it is so much more than us and with it has its own motives and goals. Um, and Vandermeer has also said, all of these thoughts about nature and how if we're going to set ourselves apart from it as if we're not hip deep in it, lead me to the, to the desire to someday edit a weird nature anthology. Given that the more we find out about our world, the stranger it appears to be, and more complex. Someday, perhaps, we'll normalize that strangeness in our heads and cherish it. 
We may even be forced to do so by the circumstances of our own poor stewardship of the planet. We may be forced to imagine the world without human beings on it in order to arrive at a point of view that allows us to continue to live upon it sustainably. Um, <laughs> like yeah. if we can acknowledge the earth doesn't need us, then maybe we can give the earth the respect that it deserves <laughs> and that it could end us. You know, like when your mom says like, I put you into this world, I could take you out. Like that's mother nature. I got you to be on two legs and have this whole configuration. And at any point I could be like, no more. Um, yeah. <laughs> this is like mother. Right. Uh, and I think that kind of, to me, in my opinion, I think that's missed in the film. Um, in being very overt the way that it is in the the series. I think the core of the message is still there, that the earth is changing and that it doesn't care what we have to say about that. Um, but I think they took a, which is kind of funny, but I think they're the more human approach and it's more about the human experience when I think Vandermeer's intent was to just forget about the human experience. <laughs> that like humans need to change their experience and that or that we're gonna make you kind of thing um i think in the end that's the message of all eco horror or eco apocalypse media is that the earth isn't going to die uh she'll keep on keeping on whether we survive or not and as we continue to make the world increasingly danger dangerous for ourselves the earth adapts and learns to survive on its own. Uh, and perhaps one day it will be rid of the pesky parasite that is humanity. And maybe it'll even get some help from another world to do so. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Honestly, it's funny because like that's most of my point in our next episode, but not so much in this one. But it's like definitely still very yes. Um, it's like honestly very crazy in that like people just don't think about it. Like the way in which that we have permanently changed the planet and that we are also susceptible to ecosystems. And if we destroy the ecosystem, it will not be livable for us, no matter how freaking smart we are or how technology driven we are. Like we are destroying our place where we live and, and that we don't impacts have a second everything. One. Yeah, we, we don't, don't have, have more. A second house. And that's like so many of like the old like you know, technicolor sci-fi films that aren't even dubbed horror but are are ones yeah. where they're like we have to leave the earth to find a different planet to live on because to we ruin messed two. it up. Like how many Ray Bradbury stories are like that? Like <laughs> there's so like Or is that the dude, secret story like, of what's already happened? Are we actually not from here? Are we the alien? also been explored in science fiction before you know yeah um, Battlestar Galactica it's like the whole so thing. many of us are like this isn't even it um yeah and I I think it's entertaining and I wish people got things from their media the way we do <laughs> yeah yeah I mean I think that's just the reality of us existing how we do true so not everyone's doing work you know, sometimes they <laughs> yeah. just like stuff and they're like, all right, that's fine, I guess. But also, like, maybe try a little. Yeah. Just, like, Listen to us and then you can yeah. learn. Yeah. But uh, my section is mostly about the ways in which, like, this film was grounded in certain areas of science. Um, I didn't read the book, so I didn't know about all that stuff. So it was actually very interesting to learn about. Um, and now I really want to read the books, even though I'm really bad at reading. Uh, <laughs> but this film was a Worth trip it. in a lot of ways. Uh it was very scary. It should definitely be dubbed horror. The second that bear started screaming like a person and the insides of that guy started moving around like snakes, I was done. Uh, not like <laughs> I didn't want to, I didn't want to stop watching it, but like this entire series has done way too much to my appetite. That's already Aww. pretty sensitive. I'm just like, I can't eat ever again because these vision, like these, the ways in which nature has been manipulated to be so gross I, it just has ruined a lot of foods for me, um, no. but it is what it is. It's a part of it's part of the work, you know. It's mm -hmm. ultimately good. I've had to switch to veganism slash vegetarianism <laughs> because now I just like can't look at meat without yeah. wanting to die. So ultimately, that's good for the environment. It adds to the process. It did its yeah. job, um, but it's very real. 
<laughs> it's purely texture based and wasn't motivated by wanting to help the planet, but it inadvertently does. So that's good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so one thing that's really interesting about the film and the fact that it does differ a lot from the book is that it is they tried it really hard to base it in real science. Um, in an interview with IndieWire titled Annihilation is Fiction, but the science isn't bullshit, Alex Garland's scientific accuracy explained. Uh, it kind of talks about Dr. Adam Rutherford, who's uh, Alex Garland's scientific advisor, and provides some insight into what parts of the film are based in in terms of real science, like the plant people and the uh, bear people. <laughs> so there are some striking scenes throughout the movie that actively haunt me that while they aren't necessarily possible um the reality of like we only know so much about science makes it that they could be the more we figure life out um mm. so rutherford responded in this article is saying like that if the plant people are real so he says not entirely but the phenomena of what goes on in the shimmer is based on real science uh we share almost all of our genes with all other living organisms and all organisms that have basic body shapes have almost exactly the same genes essentially the genes say this is the order of the body this is how the body is going to be set up um, this is called a Hox gene. That is real, proper Nobel Prize winning science. In a sense, we're taking an idea that is very real and twisting it. In real life, you can take the eye gene of a fly and the eye gene of a mouse and swap them around and the fly and the mouse will still grow the right eyes that correspond to their species. That's real science. But in fiction, you can take that to the next level. You could do that with a human and an organism that's far more distant related like a plant. In that sense, no, you can't. But plants don't have the right genes to grow a human shape. But the principle is correct. So essentially, will there be plant people? Probably not. Um, but he does go on to explain like that the same is true about the bear and the alligator in the film. And that the manipulation of what we know is the hawk gene is what really adds to the fear associated with the film. Um, what I really appreciate about this is that it's something a lot of people may not have the context for. But like uh, specifically, like if you were going to this movie and you had a decent amount of knowledge about genetics like this is like a cool little easter egg for you like you go mm -hmm. in and you're like they're not saying neuralitians or whatever the heck you know like they're saying yeah. real words that are things that we actually know about based on the stuff of genetics so i thought that was pretty cool um and there's a lot that they kind of go on to explain where it's like we really haven't ex figured out the planet so it's like could the shimmer actually happen the real answer is we don't know is it likely? Probably not. But we haven't explored enough of the planet. Like the ocean, as vast as it, we don't know it's down there. There's so many parts like of this planet that we live on that we don't understand. So could this stuff happen? We don't know. But it's also possible that it could happen. It's about as probable as the possibility of us living in a simulation. It's just um, like Vandermeer said, like we know so little. <laughs> Yeah, no, exactly. So, like, is it possible that there's an entire water-based species of humanoid creatures living in the dark depths of the ocean? And we won't know until we develop the technology to travel there. Like, there's so many possible things that we just don't have access to right now, and science is ever-evolving. So, I'll be very honest here in trying to figure out what to explore for this film in terms of history or science or whatever. I struggled to really identify anything super exciting. Um, I read a lot of things, including the development of genetic engineering and genetic modification, as well as the genetic drift and how that could impact us. Uh, and I guess ultimately, I just want to give a disclaimer that a lot of it did make a ton of sense to me because I'm not a scientist. But I'm going to do my best here. Um, in some convoluted way, it's kind of a nice metaphor for how we really don't know anything, like, all the time. Um, how the things we're saying on this show, even though we're, we're not the end-all, be-all. There are things that are could be true or not true, and we just... I think our other thesis, aside from people are trash, is that, like, please go learn about stuff. Learning about stuff is important. It is, like, you can't guarantee you'll be happy forever, but you can always learn more. Um, so yeah. if your purpose in life, it should be to learn stuff, gain knowledge. Um, I'd say that's the only area in which Orochimaru was right. The rest of it was scary and horrible. <laughs> <laughs> but learning is positive. So um, what I learned about is genetic drift. And what is that, you ask? According to Khan Academy, genetic drift is a mechanism of evolution in which an allele, one or two more, one or one of two or more versions of a gene frequencies 
that a population has change over generations due to chance or a sampling error. It occurs in all populations of non-infinite size, but its effects are strongest in small populations. It may result in the loss of some alleles, including beneficial ones, so genes, including the beneficial genes, and the fixation or rise of 100% frequency in other alleles. Uh, genetic drift can have major effects on a population, specifically when it is sharply reduced in size by a natural disaster, activating a bottleneck effect, or when a small group splits off from the main population to found a colony under the founder effect. So like, why is this relevant? Um, I think considering the fact that we actively experience natural disasters, plagues, intense poverty, and other population decimating events, that it kind of sounds like something we should be worried about a little bit today. Um, to translate kind of what the Khan Academy describes, genetic drift is when our genetics drift from the norm. So it happens when a more species-wide when large portions of the population are destroyed, leaving a somewhat random collection of humans left, who then spawn with each other, and thus certain genes are, like, honed in on than others. Um, if certain genes have died out from said event, they would not exist anymore, or at, at the very least, rarely in the remaining population. For example, say all people without webbed toes died tomorrow, uh, and the only humans left had webbed toes on Earth. The remaining humans spawn as thus happens, and the result would be web-toed humans for years to come. Um, that's the bottleneck effect. Uh, the founder effect would be if, like, because of how horrific society is, we all just decide to isolate into little packages of humans. <laughs> We're just like, everything's trash. We need to form our own little civilizations. Um, so say... Society collapses, and now we need to find our own little places. Um, those colonies that exist in isolation would eventually only have babies that have the traits of the people from that small section uh, of the group. So say, like, everyone who didn't receive wisdom teeth naturally, I'm one of those. That's one of the mutations that I have. I don't have wisdom teeth. They naturally mutated wow. in my genes, and I don't have them. Um, so. Yeah, so but say everyone without wisdom teeth joined together and they formed a colony, um, and then maybe one or two people had wisdom teeth, but they were the minority of that. Once spawning would happen and new babies were born, uh, it would be more likely that wisdom teeth would be an allele that was lost um, along the line. I don't know if that's exactly what they mean, but that you're calling it spawning. Yeah. You're welcome. I also enjoyed that when I was writing. I was like, that's fun. Um, but yeah, so it's essentially like, that is how I interpreted it. I don't know mm -hmm. enough about genes and genetics to know if that's exactly how it works. But I think like the analogy explains it at least kind of. So maybe it's not webbed feet. Sure. But maybe it's something else. It's like a mm -hmm. gene that like is passed down. So like, I think this is something considering the current state of our world that as our planet is being adapted and I'll get into this a lot more in our next episode, but like the way we interact with the ecosystem and the things that we are unknowingly, we're creating bottlenecks effects across our entire planet with different species. This includes viruses. This includes actual plant life. This includes animals. Like we have been doing that through just decimating wilderness mm -hmm. spaces um decimating yeah. resources within the planet um so we have been creating this that certain alleles will continue to develop or random mutations as a means of survival could do that or we get random mutations that actively hurt the living creatures that still live here and the, that is still our fault if we cut mm -hmm. down all the trees and a bottleneck effect murders all of the fruit flies you know what i mean then yeah. you know that's what happens now and we just don't have those and who knows maybe those fruit flies were the thing that causes cancer there are just long-lasting biodiversity implications of the reality of what this could mean um yeah. Apparently, there's also research being conducted on how genetic drift influenced the development of COVID-19 variants. So if you ever played Plague Evolved, uh, you get to see how the development of mutations within a virus increase over time, thus making it more deadly and spreadable. The goal of the virus is to start out light so it remains undetectable. Once it impacts a large sample of the population and exists in a specific area for a long time, mutations naturally occur. That's why everyone's like, get vaccinated. Yes. So because the longer it stays in your body, the more mutations will develop and the more the virus will evolve. So we're looking at the intent of uh, 
the book of the annihilation this makes sense and honestly inspired me by watching the way in which creatures evolve and find life various things it's all very interesting into their own ecosystems so this eliminating of bulk in populations in my non-scientific opinion uh is disastrous and like say we were to do this ourselves i think there are like long-lasting implications that we can't even personally conceive right now um and it's something I think that's been explored in horror like countless times when manipulating the way humanoid creatures mutate and become horrific. So say, for example, like the descent, uh, yeah. human population isolates in cave, spawn in cave, uh, long period yeah. of time. Now we have adapted random mutations in order to exist in cave. Now we are darkness people who are scary and don't <laughs> see light and murder. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it's it's a thing. Like, if the like, populations isolate, that's why it's like a theme in a lot of games, too, where, like, they're the re- they're cure to diseases because they haven't gone through, like, this mass evolution. They've experienced genetic drift, so they could develop things that we are not able to through just existing in this, like, mass blob of humanity um which is interesting ultimately it's my story for you yeah yeah i think (laughs) what we can learn from annihilation both film uh the book and just the science behind it is that we really know nothing we we know so little about our environment and like we are fools to think we can know exactly like it's operating in such an inhuman way like <laughs> that it like we would really have to become less human in like our understanding in of the world in order to understand what it's doing um and its motivations and why and um i think you know like our humanity is what makes people beautiful um but it also can cut us off from the rest of the world because we think we live in this little bubble and we don't we live on this planet um that's either going to live in harmony with us or it's going to get rid of us because we're, we are a parasite. Yeah. I mean, ultimately it's like, it shouldn't be something being good. Shouldn't be called humanity. Mm. There should be other language for it. That includes the other creatures that live here. Cause then it's less isolated. I feel like that is like a, a very English language slash like Western time. Yeah. It should be called like something different. Animals <laughs> yeah. care for each other. They're nice. And other plants even, plants even care for each other. Like plants communicate. The trees, when they die, send their resources to the living trees. (laughs) Well, it's like even what uh, Vandermeer was saying, like there's like the symbiotic relationships in nature that you wouldn't even consider. And it's like those, these are two different species of things interacting and working on each other uh, to like just to survive like they're benefiting one another in this beautiful it's like when you see animal friendships (laughs) you're like that's crazy this this hippo befriended a dog like whatever um but it's because it's not exclusively human to share and to support somebody else um (laughs) it's it's a point of nature because it's a it's survival is helping others and helping other things and so it's exactly our survival if we help the environment. <laughs> like, if we start being like, hey, you've been giving us something, right? You've been giving us oxygen and yeah. sunlight and all kinds of varieties of vitamins and nutrients. How about we give a little something back and not try to kill you today? Yeah. It honestly just reminds me of Mother that we're going to talk about. Because <laughs> that's what it was. That yeah. Was the whole thing. It was like, yo. Yeah. She's like, leave! And it's like, yeah, we really should. <laughs> we really mess with We really do nothing good here. Uh, um, you probably have already tuned in, but uh, horror, we are guessing horror queers talking about Mother. Um, we're not going to cover it in our series, but it is, funnily enough, uh, pretty much horror. ego horror. Yeah. And uh, there is, like, there's like this scene where they're like painting the house, and she's like, why are you painting my house? And they're like, they gave so, it gave so much to us. Like, we have to give back. And I was like, but that... <laughs> That's not what it wants, but it's not like we're stopping to ask the environment, like, you good? What yeah. can we do for you? Can I roll out some moss for you or get you some sunshine and water and plant some trees for you? Like, we're not asking. We're just, like, assuming yeah. <laughs> and, and trying to pick up the pieces for what the rest of the world is doing to it. So, yeah, 
Yeah. Uh, eco horror. That's the series that's really impressive. I'm yeah. sorry, but hopefully it makes you appreciate the environment. We need to live more symbiotically with nature. We need to like make our houses have grass roofs or like moss roofs. You know what I'm saying? Like we need, we need to like take care of the things. We need to murder all the concrete. We need to destroy it. Yeah, it's so bad, and it's not even like effective economically because it's bad after the economy isn't effective economically (laughs) we need to destroy that too (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. um yeah get some solar panels you know stuff for like yeah we're gonna get into uh the different gas and uh other uh uses for power and how we're depleting the earth of its resources uh, in a later episode so just you wait (laughs) but with that being said because we have to to wrap it up because i talked forever um okay don't get married delete your kids and you work so hard spawning them yeah so you should (laughs) want them to like live in a place that isn't dying yeah and so they can spawn yeah isn't that the dream spawn spawn some more but we need yeah. a place for the spawning to happen for the spawnies to keep going we need yeah, a place great, for great, them great 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 spawnies <laughs> and earth that is bountiful and maybe yeah really cool like area where are they gonna go once they're spawned you know <laughs> i want my spawned to have a better life than i had when i was spawned you know yeah no one has to be spawned, but we're here now, so we need to do it. <laughs> no one has to be spawned, <laughs> but that's nature, isn't it? You know, yeah. like, we're just, just here. Spawn A and spawn B is keep going forever. Yeah, when a mommy spawn. Okay, we're done. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so let's go. Uh, bye. Bye. <laughs>